Y Group invites all AEC industry leaders to the 2024 AEC Small Business and Entrepreneurship Forum, the premier event for small firms in the AEC sector. Experience innovative strategies and insights on May 21st, crafted by Zweig Group's industry experts. Engage in keynotes and interactive sessions focused on recruitment, retention, and business growth. Join Zweig Group for this unique networking opportunity and take your business to new heights. Secure your spot today and be part of the AEC industry's future. Visit ZweigGroup.com for more information. The Zwei Group team looks forward to welcoming you. Welcome to the Zweig Letter Podcast, putting architectural, engineering, planning, and environmental consulting advice and guidance in your ear. Zweig Group's team of experts have spent more than three decades elevating the industry by helping AEP and environmental consulting firms thrive. And these podcasts deliver invaluable management, industry, client, marketing, and HR advice directly to you, free of charge. The Zweig Letter Podcasts, elevating the design industry one episode at a time. Hey folks, and welcome back to another episode of the Zweig Letter Podcast. I'm your host, Randy Wilburn, and I'm excited to be with you today. We've got a great episode in store. We originally tried to do this a while back, but we ran into some technical difficulties. And I said, I told these, my next guests, I said, we got to get you on as soon as possible. And so I first met Melvaline McLemore and Jatik Gunn at the Elevate AEC event in Las Vegas last September, 2022. They did a presentation that just blew my mind. Well, I, it didn't blow my mind, really. Let's be honest. It, it was something I was fully aware of, but it blew the minds of a lot of people that were in that room. And they talked about the best and brightest, a thoughtful conversation on equity-centered approaches to recruitment and retention. And it all revolved around this idea that there are amazing people of color in that are graduating and matriculating through historically black colleges and universities around the United States that are not being recruited. And I've been saying this since the 90s. Nobody listened to me back in the day, but now finally we have had a wellspring of interest. We've had, well, the reality is, is that that recruitment and retention is tough in the design space right now. So the bottom line is we need to be finding more people to fill all the roles that every design firm needs to fill. And so without further ado, I want to welcome Melvaline McLemore and Jatik Gunn to the podcast. And we have a special guest, Anzi Gilmore, who is the interim associate vice president for facilities engineering and planning at Rice University, has joined us. She's not going to be able to stay for the whole conversation, but she's going to lend a little bit of flavor to this conversation and share some additional context for this program. And so without further ado, ladies, welcome to the Zweig Letter Podcast. Thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I kind of introduced you guys. I would love for you, Melvaline or Jatik, if one of you want to kind of just start it off by talking about this talk that you guys did back in September and how that even came about in the first place. Sure, I can start. We were contacted by Shirley 
cake of swipe. Sure. She wanted to some she had read about us in the architects newspaper. Um, it featured our HBCU Pretty P program that we started back in 2020. And she just wanted to figure out a way for us to present. She was originally thinking elevate her and it somehow got escalated to elevate AEC and we were invited to be a keynote, which it was a big honor to be invited. And we really were cautious about how we would contribute to it, knowing that it was predominantly engineering industry. And we know how these DEI conversations were being received in the architecture circle. So we just wanted to fully get the okay that group was open to this conversation. And we were told they were that's the perfect audience for this kind of conversation. So we were really excited that it was going to be well received. And we thought about how to frame the conversation around this kind of initial problem that we approached the PDP with this. We had, or at least when I approached AMZ, one of the, uh, with the HBCU PDP program, one of the things I had gotten really tired of hearing was this best and brightest phrase. And it was kind of used as a cop out to justify the lack of diversity in various practices. And usually when I approached various firm leaders, about their lack of diversity, they would counter or at least kind of verbally pat themselves on the back by saying, oh, well, we only recruit the best and brightest, thinking that it implied some kind of exceptional recruitment process. But at the same time, it really inadvertently was insulting to diversity that wasn't represented and also made me push back with like, if this is the best that your best and brightest searches can produce, you might want to adjust those tactics. Yeah, yeah. So we got together and I'm sure we'll give a little backstory about the HBCU PDP in a bit, but we got together. It was more like, how do we combat these kind of just default challenges or resistances to opening up to diversity? Yeah. In terms. Yeah. Jatik, do you want to add anything to that at all? Yeah, no, Mel pretty summed it up pretty well. I think for me being HBCU graduate, proud Prairie View a and University graduate, I you know knew firsthand some of the challenges that I even faced trying to gain entry into the profession. And my introduction was actually through ANZI hosting a career fair through for NOMAS students. And so I, I knew, you know, firsthand I wouldn't have gotten any entry or any at least touch points or access had it not been for the program that she had created. And so I wanted to work with her and Mel to give back and see how we could open up the doors for the next generation. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm glad you teed it up the way that you did, because I certainly want for our audience sake, so they can have a better understanding of the, the NOMA's National HBCU Professional Development Program. Anzi, I'm glad that you're here, that you can kind of share some context for this program and really how it came about in the first place. So I was involved with the Houston chapter of NOMA starting in 2000, actually 2005. And when that chapter started, we started with an initial initiative around a career fair because um, me and, and the gentleman I was working with, Virgil Gay, wanted to create opportunities for minority students to gain entry into the profession. I was working at U of H at the time. Virgil was kind of at the level I'm at now at U of H. And to be completely candid, when you get to an AVP position in a university, 
people want to connect with you and they'll connect with you through any window that you give them. So he was able to take this idea that we had about a career fair and invite all of the architecture firms that were trying to work at U of H to show up, give money and hire students. And that's how it started with Houston-Noma. I believe our first career fair was in 2006. So we'd been running that career fair through Houston-Noma for years. Melvaline, I don't, I don't know how young you were in 2006, <laughs> but I know Jatik was probably in elementary school. But <laughs> Melvaline knew that we were running this program and she had this idea about, you know, having a career fair for HBCU students. And she can tell you a little bit more about where that idea came from. But because there was a pandemic, it kind of opened the window for us to do a career fair virtually and connect with all seven of the HBCUs in the country. So she had this great idea. She knew that I had done career fairs for many years and we came together and said, okay, well, let's, let's try it. And then we ran out of time which turned into a, okay, we can't plan this career fair right now, but what we can do is some kind of speed networking thing where we don't have to do any planning. We can just send out an invite to all the HBCUs, get them into a Zoom, and let's just see what happens. So it, it was a speed networking thing where we threw students in a room. It came together really easily and quickly. Jatik kind of jumped in and said, yeah, I'll help because I'm going to be honest. If Jatik hadn't came in and said, I'll help, it would have died on the vine. <laughs> but we, we kind of brought this thing together. And as we did it, it turned into more than a career fair. It turned into a program. It turned into a, okay, well, let's, we're going to do the speed networking now to prepare them for a career fair in January. And then why don't we do some seminars? And then we just started adding things to it. And what right now it has turned into a thing that we, we have a, an event every month where we, we start off with a, a seminar, then we do the speed networking, then we do two more seminars at the, until the end of the year. This is, you know, on an academic calendar, and then seminars all through the spring semester. And then we started collecting money. And we, and using, you know, the platform that I have and the connections that I have through NOMA National to raise money to offer a grant now for these students to come through to support them with paying back student loans, paying for professional attire, paying relocation fees, just things that we know. I'm also a proud HBCU graduate of Prairie View A&M, class of 1997. And I realized the things that I needed when I was graduating. So we offer this grant, not because you're the smartest or you know best and brightest, but because we know what you might need. So that's that was kind of my contribution, but I got to tell you, Mel and Jatik are like, like you know, running this thing down, and I'm just trying to sit back and be quiet and, <laughs> and watch them, watch them do it because it's it's wonderful. Yeah, I mean, I appreciate you sharing that context because I, I think that's really important. And you know what they say about every generation, you know, sits on the shoulders of the generation that came before, right? And I think that's important. So these two ladies are sitting on your shoulders. Anzi, and they're able to kind of do what they're doing because you did what you did. And so, and also just for clarification, in case anyone listening does not know what NOMA stands for, it's, it's the National Organization of Minority Architects, just so that we're all on the same page here. Because I get it. I've, I've dealt with firm owners and leaders throughout the country, and some of them are just not aware that these programs exist. I would 
have to articulate or share what Nesby was, right? The National Society of, mm-hmm. of Black Engineers. And, and so it, it's important, I think, for any responsible firm leader to be fully aware and engaged with these organizations because they are seeing some of the best of the best talent that's coming out of all schools, but primarily coming out of historically black colleges and universities. And just like you guys gave your shout out to Prairie View, I'm going to give my shout out to Howard because we got an amazing engineering program and an amazing architecture program. And I had several when I was going through and I won't I won't mention my age, but I graduated Howard in 91. And I remember I had a bunch of friends that went to the architecture, went through the architecture program. And it was a five year program. And I mean, some of my friends are doing some amazing work to this very day. And Howard has has been known to print some amazing architects. And so and I've I've said that as often as I could to as many firm leaders as I could, as I recruited in this space, as I worked in this industry since the the middle 90s. I've said, hey, you know, come to Howard because there are amazing design professionals there that you could bring up. But you bring up some very clear points about some of the hurdles that historically that students in historically black colleges and universities have to overcome the student loan issues, professional attire. I've been on several Facebook pages with a lot of up and coming students that want to graduate and go on and and work at some of these design firms. And they're always asking me for advice or help. And, you know, some of the simplest ways that we can help them is to, you know, provide them with the necessary funds just to put themselves on even par with everybody else, to be able to put the best foot forward when they go in for their interviews, when they go to their internships, so that they have those opportunities available to them. So, I mean, this is a, is a much needed program. You mentioned something specifically about funding. How is this whole program funded? Is it funded by the HBCUs? Is it funded by some of the design firms that participate with you guys? And is there opportunities for others to fund or provide assistance moving forward? It is funded almost exclusively, I would say exclusively (laughs) by by the firms. I said almost because we're starting to get people interested that are not in traditional firms that are wanting to participate, like the U.S. Navy found us. Nike. Yeah, Nike. Like, so we're we're starting to open up, but I'm going to be honest. We'll take anybody's money if we can give it back to the states. No, I mean, and you bring up a good point about that. And, and, you know, even some of those non-traditional organizations, they hire architects, they hire engineers. I mean, you know, these are big companies. And so I think it's important for, for people to understand that this, there are plenty of opportunities to support some of these young people. I remember when I first recognized, and you guys will appreciate this being architects, that there were only like 500 registered black female architects, period, like period. <laughs> it's like, and, and there's a few of them that I'm talking to right now. I mean, there, there aren't that many of you. I remember when I was talking with a bunch of young, young folks that were preparing their exams to take their architectural exams so that they could get their license. And they were like, yeah, I'm, I think at the time when we were having this conversation, they were like, yeah, there's only 453. And one young lady was like, I hope to be 454 or, or something like that. So, you know, that's kind of the reality of it. And you, you just assume that, oh, there's plenty of them and there really aren't. And that's one of the reasons why a program like this is so important is because it creates opportunities for those that haven't traditionally had these opportunities and helps them kind of build their platform 
for the future and put them into into rooms that they wouldn't necessarily be in. Well, and I think it's also important to note that it's not just women that there's a dearth oh. of. It's men, too. I think there are only 3000 total black architects in the country. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. It's so. Yeah. Obviously, there are a few more men than there are women. But that number really it just it's very alarming, if nothing else, you know, in between that. And I know that um, recently there was a really good article in, in Apple News about the head, the female president of NOMA, who was kind of relaying some of her experiences as she matriculated and grew up as an architect in this industry. And just some of the challenges, I think people don't realize the challenges that both men and women face, African-American men and women face, or people of color face in the design industry space. And it's important to understand the context through which so many people are finding success in spite of you know the current situation and in spite of the way things are. And I think in her story, and, and we'll, we'll put a link to it in, in the show notes, but I mean, she pointed out, relayed a story of right when I, I think it, she was still in school at the time and they had her stand up along with another student and said that, you know, here are two people that not only they're never going to be architects, one, because they were they were black. And the second was because they were a woman. <laughs> they were women. So it's like, wow, you know, you can't win for losing here. So, I mean, there are there are major obstacles in place. And I, I sometimes think that people think we make that stuff up. But the reality is, is that they actually really do exist. Absolutely. And that story particularly is alarmingly familiar. There's no shortage of Black women in architecture who've been told quite bluntly that you're not supposed to be here or your time will be short in this industry for a variety of reasons. And there's a, a high degree of comfort with expressing that to us as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's so... Where are you guys? How do you, I mean, how are you guys sowing hope among your peers and specifically among your peers? Because even though we were joking about you guys being the next generation, but there's a generation coming up behind you guys. What are you saying to those young, young women of color specifically about their opportunities to become an architect and fulfill some of the dreams that they may have had since they were, they were little girls? I think we're all no stranger to adversity and the, you know, I would say conflicts or situations that we unfortunately face being in these different environments, especially corporate environments, sometimes having the burden of being maybe the only HBCU graduate or only Black person in your office and having to carry that. Sometimes we talk about the Black tax, which is, you know, some of the things that we kind of discussed a little earlier. I think in my experience, just giving an honest, honest review, honest having honest conversations about some of the things and difficulties that you can face and how to navigate them has been the best. And also just really pushing self-advocacy, self-advocacy for yourself, for your community, for, you know, again, the generations coming after. For me, that's what gives me hope to continue in the profession. And then when I help mentor, you know, the next generation, it just, hey, if you see me, you yeah. see you. And I think that that really helps is like, I've, I've been able to navigate, I'm navigating now. Mel and Andy do a great job in mentoring me as well. And I just turn around and do the favor. So it's kind of the each one teach one. It's giving really honest feedback on how to improve, how to you know navigate different corporate structures, how to advocate for yourself. And Mel, if you wanted to share. Yeah, I think all, everything you said is spot on. And I'm a huge fan of the saying, lift as we climb. Yeah. 
You know, I am, I'm not about, you know, this is, I have to do it the hard way. You have to do it too. So if we can help them get to the punch and understand where they're starting from, that helps them, you know, advance even further into the career. It's about lessening burdens and removal of hurdles in any way we can. That's why when we approach the program, we talk about equity, right? We understand that not everyone needs the same things to have access to the same opportunities. So we try to say like, you have to understand what the reality is of this industry is you're going to enter environments where you do not look like the majority of the people in those spaces, but there is a path forward and we're going to help you find that path forward. But you have to understand like, you know, you have to be committed to an outcome. You have to say, I want to do this no matter what and how you get there. We're more than willing to assist you as long as you want that help. So we try not to force anything, but we encourage and welcome mentor and mentee relationships to be formed. We encourage the students to leverage the networks and the uh, relationships they build um, as they're part of our program. But a lot of it is just us seeing ourselves in them the same way it happens in different levels and other industries where other people who don't look like them get advanced. We try to leverage our connection with them in a way that enables them to be successful. Yeah. So are you finding like, so like I said, I said earlier, both of you guys are at Moody Nolan. Was it hard to kind of introduce some of these concepts even at your own firm or were you, did you find success when you came to kind of present this idea to them as well as encouraging some of your peers to share it at their current firms? Well, I'll say actually, Andy, she wanted to leave room for the origin story of the HBCU PDP. And that's probably, this is probably a good place to plug it in. I actually got the idea listening to, for the program, from listening to Jonathan Moody, the CEO of Moody Nolan, present on a panel called Concrete Steps to Creating More Equitable Practices. And in that talk, and he was speaking to other peers and other firms, and he said, if we're really serious, and I'm paraphrasing, of course, we're really serious about increasing diversity in our practices is imperative that we increase our number of touch points with HBCUs. And when he said that, the light bulb went off because that's kind of lack of commitment to really solving the pipeline issue. There's this a lot of talk about, hey, we want to increase the number of black and brown students in the industry, but there's no how thing sorted out. And Jonathan mentioned like more than 50% of the black and brown students in architecture come from HBCUs. So just going back to your question right now, it was very well received and supported because Jonathan Moody was on the same page with this. And we have internally an HBCU focused committee. We have DEI committees, you know, like those things, but it's like really being committed to doing the work to see and create opportunities for uh, students who are a part of our program. Yeah, I love that. How big is Moody Nolan? Ooh, it's grown a lot. Close to 400. Okay, yeah, I, th- I thought you guys were that size. So that's, that's a. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm asking the size of Moody Nolan because I know that there are people listening to us that are like, Randy, this is all great, but I mean, we're like 60 people. How are we, you know, how do we, we don't have, we can't have a committee for that. Or, and, and, you know, you probably can. I mean, it, it's you people, we all do what we want to do when we want to do it. So let's just be really clear about that. And so I'm calling some of my, some folks in this industry to the carpet saying, hey, 
now is the time when you have programs like this in play where it's actually, it's not so much plug and play, but it's, you can certainly connect with a program like this Noma program and take advantage of their connections, right? And I've always said to people that ever asked me, it's like, if you want a connection for anybody at Howard, I can connect you with somebody there. And I think that's a responsibility that we all have, but I kind of feel like all of us that went to historically black colleges and universities, you know, we took that class where it was like, you know, as you continue to go up, reach back and pull somebody up with you and make sure you make the references to this or that open doors. I open doors for anybody that I can from Howard, regardless of whatever their career or profession is, just because they went to Howard. And I think it's I think it's important to know that just like you said, 50 percent of all design professionals come from hail from historically black colleges and universities. That just makes it easy because there's only but so many HBCUs. So you figure, OK, how do I make all of these touch points and connect with these folks? And so I think it's important for us to kind of figure out how we do that. Mm-hmm. In our world, in the architecture industry, there's only seven universities that we have accredited programs that we're focused on. So the pool is really tight. It's not a big search. Another thing when firms kind of think about getting into this work or trying to figure out how to move forward on this initiative, they try to reinvent the wheel. And what we decided or we advocate for is leveraging your tools, right? Like Noma had existing relationships with these HBCUs. Yeah. So when the program first started, we had the chance to start either under the AIA umbrella or the Noma umbrella. But because Noma already had these existing relationships, it just naturally made sense to start it under the Noma umbrella and then create an opportunity for the AIA to engage. And we did so by partnering with the AIA's large firm roundtable members. So the largest firms in the country have access to these students and universities through this program. So there was no, where do I start? It's, we have a starting point for you and it just makes it that much easier. Yeah, that is, so there are plenty of opportunities, basically what you're saying for firms to kind of plug in and find out what is available to them and how they can gain access to these resources that they can reach out to. Maybe bring somebody on board as an intern and get Mm -hmm. to know them and have them work with you and show them a few things. And then before you know it, you start to build a pipeline. So, because I've always said that once you've connected with one or two people at an HBCU, then you will eventually be connected to everybody. Because we just talk to everybody. So we know, you know, I'm still, I mean, I've been, wow, 32 years out of Howard, but I talk to all of my HBCU, my Howard folks all the time. I keep in touch with them. I make connections all the time. I've got friends out on each coast and everywhere in between and all around the world. And it's just always just a message, a text, an email away from introducing somebody that I was connected with at Howard to something else for one reason or another, whether it's for business or personal. It just, I mean, that's just kind of how things are. But I mean, you see that in, in every university setting, but it's, I think it's, I actually believe it's more pronounced in the HBCU setting. And I think it's important for firm leaders to understand that, you know, you can rely on people like Jatik and folks like Anzi and certainly Melvaline to connect with individuals that are out there and anybody and even myself, you know, if if you're listening to this and, you know, you're trying to make a connection with somebody, maybe you've heard about some folks that are at Howard or you've heard about the Howard program, but want to be introduced a little bit more about, you know, what they're doing. I'm happy to do that. But we have programs like 
NOMA's National HBCU Professional Development Program that will kind of help you make those connections and bridge that gap of both understanding and opportunity. And that's essentially what what, what these young ladies are doing here. And, and that's why I believe they are going to make a difference as we move forward in this space and as we endeavor to get more black and brown faces in the design industry space and more women in the design industry space. So I think it's there's some tremendous opportunities that exist here. Are you finding more opportunities to share the same talk that you did with Zwei Group at other locations? You want to go to take? We have been asked, but of course our schedules got really complicated. <laughs> so we had to they always pass do. on a few. <laughs> Yes, it got a bit complicated. But I will say another thing that came from that, in addition to being asked to do more talks, is engineers reaching out to us saying, how can we duplicate this program in the engineering world? And that was such a wonderful outcome. Yeah. Just to know there's an interest beyond the architectural world to yeah. see this happen. Yeah, I think that's important. I'm glad you mentioned that because I have I've actually spoken at some Nesby events and I was not disheartened, but I was kind of, you know, when I went to one of these events, there was also a job fair there and there was very little representation from the design industry. It was mostly manufacturing Mm -hmm. and other industries that were trying to snap up. You know, Google was there and some other companies and that's all well and fine. But I've always remarked that, man, we just don't see enough representation in the design industry space of black and brown faces. And it's like, well, what, how do we, you know, how do we create more awareness around that? And I tell everybody that I'll talk to, especially young people, you know, the design industry is a great place to be. It's a place where you can really learn and hone your craft and create a career for yourself that's both financially rewarding as well as, you know, just rewarding in general from a work product perspective. Mm -hmm. So, well, as we kind of wind up here, is there anything else that you guys would like to share, you know, based on who our listening audience is and ways that people can kind of connect with you guys in the future to learn how their firms can get involved regardless of where they are? I mean, granted, Melvaline, you're in Houston, Jatik, aren't you in the D.C. area or have you moved to Houston? I am okay, in that's, D.C. That, that's what I thought. So, OK, so you have some different concentric circles of connections for people. But if somebody's in L.A. or somebody's in the upper Midwest or somewhere like that, how would they connect with with what you guys are doing there? I think it's similar to how our program is. It's so multifaceted, but also accessible, utilizing technology and just the different mediums that we've had thus far, it's easy to connect. Even in our seminars, we have so many different people from different firms coming together to volunteer. So you might have representatives from, you know, five of the 30 firms that we had represented at the career fair, you know, come in, make up a PowerPoint or do a fireside chat with our students. And we're all in different time zones, but we just make it work. So just being able to send an email or, you know, I think that's just been the best thing about this program, because rather than having it isolated, we're able to have more of a global impact. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Rather than just being local to Houston or local to DC, you know, we can approach it from a different lens. And I think it's also important to look at that in terms of scale. One thing I always say is the takeaway is looking at these students in terms of uh, cultural ads rather than a cultural Mm -hmm. fit. A lot of firms 
really, really look to have cultural fits. And, you know, that thinking kind of to me is in line with the best and brightest because you're looking for someone to replicate the things that you're already doing. But then we end up losing all of the amazing talents, gifts, you know, mindsets, experiences that diversity brings to the table. And when we talk about going into different communities or communities of color specifically, not having that representation or someone who is who has shared those experiences of living in that community, it's a really big disservice to the built environment and the things that we end up trying to create in those spaces. So I think a lot of the times when you're looking to hire, recruit, you know, utilizing our program, of course, is one of the main things we'll always advocate for. But internally, when those students come to your doors, ensure that you're not silencing their voice, silencing their experiences, but embracing them. And, you know, sometimes that is difficult to come into a a standard structure and it might be a little uncomfortable, but I have, you know, learned in my experience that it's definitely worth it. When we embrace diversity, when we look at different perspectives and we're open to having uncomfortable conversations, it just makes, you know, the environment more fruitful. People are willing to invest their time and their commitments because they see that a company structure actually cares about them and that their voices are actually honored. So cultural ad versus cultural fit, try to have more cultural ads rather than just looking for someone to continue to replicate or design in the same way that your firms already have been doing. Trying things new, staying on the cutting edge of of things. Diversity is always important. And I think honing in that skill set and honing in to the importance of HBCUs and the contributions that they've made over time is really, really important to emphasize and to something that I hope we are able to continue and that all of the firms and other organizations who are hearing this and really invested in this type of work will continue to pioneer. I love that. I I mean, you summed it up perfectly. And I think people listening to this should just rewind it back for the last two minutes and and listen to what Jatik just said, because she laid out some of the breadcrumbs needed in order to to get involved with this and, you know, be that change that you so desperately seek. And and I want to I want to reiterate something that we've always talked about at Zui Group, which was the most diverse companies are the most successful companies, period. Mm -hmm. And so keep that in mind. As you go out and as you look to diversify and and to make those, as Jatik says, cultural ads, not cultural fits, because you'd be surprised where you will find the best and the best and the brightest. They're all over the place. You just have to look. So, Melvaline, you want to add anything before we close out? I thought what Jatik said was wonderful and it made me want to just add one thing is the acknowledgement that it will take work on the firm's part. It's not a box checking exercise. And when you are intentional and when you are committed to seeing that diversity in your practices, you will understand that you need to create welcoming environments. And that's going to be the key to that success. That's how you get the most out of those diverse practices. Yeah, absolutely. To add that. Absolutely. Yeah. No, you guys have nailed it. You have truly nailed it. Is there a website for this program at all? Or where do you want to point people if they want to find out more? In addition to the fact that on the show notes, I'm going to make sure that I put your LinkedIn, both of your, all three of your LinkedIn profiles on the show notes so people can reach out to you and connect with you. And if you forget to do that and you're listening to this and because we're connected, you connected with me, please connect with me and I'll make sure I connect you guys with these wonderful women. But is there a website for this program? Yes, we have HBCU. PDP page that's a part of the NOMA national website. So you could 
just search Noma National HBCU PDP and it should take you directly to our landing page. We also have our organization's email address, which is info at nomacef.org. So nomacef.org. CharlesEdwardFrank.org. Um, that's okay, noma.nomacef.org. Info at nomacef.org. Okay, yeah. perfect. Yeah, we'll put that in the show notes and we'll make sure that everybody has that so they know who to reach out to and just send out an inquiry. But again, this is not a huge industry. So, you know, between the three or, or four of us connecting with one of us, we'll get you to the right people so that you can gain some more insight and information and potentially get your firm involved in this. Because if you do what Melvaline says, which is to be intentional about it, then you will reap the benefits of that intentionality. So ladies, thank you so much for joining me on this podcast. This was well worth the wait. I know it took a while for us to get together, but I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for taking time out of your schedule to join us and share a little bit about what you guys are doing and the difference that you're making in the design industry space, especially as it pertains to black and brown architects. So thank you so much from all of us here at Zwei Group. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having us. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, folks, that's it. That's another episode of the Zweig Letter Podcast. To find out for more information about the Zweig Letter Podcast or to learn more about one of the oldest newsletters in the design industry, visit zweiggroup.com. You can read articles online, listen to this podcast, and sign up for a free subscription to the newsletter and have it delivered right into your email inbox every Monday morning. Sign up today. For more information about Zwei Group's advisory services or any of Zwei Group's publications, visit zweiggroup.com. You can also subscribe to the Zweig Letter podcast wherever you listen to it. And please consider rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. I'm your host, Randy Wilburn, and we'll see you with another episode real soon. Peace. Thanks for tuning in to the Zweig Letter podcast. We hope that you can be part of elevating the industry and that you can apply our advice and information to your daily professional life. For a free digital subscription to The Zweig Letter, please visit thezweigletter.com slash subscribe to gain more wisdom and inspiration, in addition to information about leadership, finance, HR, and marketing your firm. Subscribe today.